Welcome to the Hillside Community Church Podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know, and we'll catch you next time. Well, good morning. Uh, starting down here this morning, because I want to start with something separate from what I'm going to share with you today. There might be someone here today, I've just been really feeling it, Uh, here maybe for the first time, or perhaps it's a last resort for you. You may not even be sure what you're looking for. Uh, You might even be skeptical about spiritual things. But I want to say two things to you this morning, if that's you. The first thing I would say to you is you wouldn't be here If God wasn't interested in you, you just would not be here if he wasn't interested. Nobody finds God. Listen to this. Nobody finds God without God's help. Uh, He's been called the hound of heaven. He's relentless and usually gets his way. And so if you're here, he... You need to know someone's looking out for you. That's the first thing I would say. Second thing I would say, uh, a little bit of a secular advice, comes from Jordan Peterson, Canadian clinical psychologist, professor at the University of Toronto. He gives good advice to the public when he says, don't look for happiness, look for meaning. I think that's good advice. Happiness is fleeting. There's a lot of unhappiness in the world. But you can find meaning in everything. And forever. That's ultimate meaning. Past and present circumstances, no matter what you're going through or have been through, good or bad, And meaning that goes beyond this life. I'm not a clinical psychologist. You'll figure that out really fast. Not smart enough for that. But in Acts chapter 3, Peter just happens to be walking by a guy who's lame and he's begging. And he's asking for money. And Peter says... You know, I don't have any money, but I do have something else. And he says, in the name of Jesus Christ, stand and walk. Of course, he rises and he's, and he walks with God. Now, what I can offer you today, and I think you saw it and sort of visually here today, is Jesus Christ. That's the only thing we really can offer. Uh, because of his death, his death clears any obstacles that might be between you and God. Any obstacles you imagine that might be between you and God are cleared by Christ's death. And then secondly, because he rose from the dead, there's hope and meaning beyond this life and reality. That's why we, that's why everything we do focuses 
on those two events, his death and his resurrection. You hear it when we baptized. You heard it in the song we sang. When we gather together, we're gathering because of those events. So, I'd like to just pray for you real quick, uh, if I could. So, would you bow your heads? There's one person here today. Maybe it's, this is for you. And here's what I would pray. Holy Spirit, I ask you to help all of us, but maybe there's a person in here especially to be open and to see the wonder of what God has provided us in his son. Someone here, Lord, is in a, is in a real struggle, a struggle for what matters the most. So I pray you'll humble us because it takes great humility to see our desperate need for you right now and to put our trust completely in Jesus Christ. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I could pray for another reason. It's because of the topic today. I could pray for you on that. It's a series. We're in a series called You Asked For It. And uh, one of the things our congregation asked for was to understand the Holy Spirit better. And so we've been in this series for, this is like, I think, the fourth talk, and it's probably about halfway through the series on that. So our study today will take a little bit of an interesting turn as we look at what, uh, specifically, what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is. Uh, and I'm going to say this about the topic. I'm going to say a few things about the topic. Number one, it's, it's a difficult topic. Um, I know why it doesn't get talked about very often, why you would ask for it, and why I've avoided it. I know clean well now. Uh, it's, it's controversial. I mean, we have local churches here with different views in our area. And, of course, not just in our area. but So it's controversial. It's also pretty sensitive. Um, there are some very strong feelings both ways as it relates to this topic. And a number of people have bad experiences on both sides of this. And so I just want to make sure that you know in here, because there are some of you who might have very strong opinions about this on one side or the other, and you need to be sensitive to the fact when you're discussing those, that right here in this room is a varied view, varied views on the topic of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so when you're pontificating, you need to be you need, to be, you need to remember that. Just be sensitive to the fact that there are other views on the topic. Uh, and that there will be disagreement. I mean, all I can do is share with you what I see and what I see the scriptures teaching. But you can disagree with me. You have the freedom to do that. I can live with it. And I will live with it. Um, so we need to do that for each other. Um, some of you are well-versed in this topic. Some of you even sitting right now are going, what is he talking about? I have no idea what he's talking about. And that's okay. You've never looked into it. And there's a good chance you hoped you never would have to. I understand. 
and here we are. Uh, but in the past few years, one of the number, one of the one of the most common questions I have gotten has been on the issue of baptism of the Holy Spirit. Um, so, it's a topic we need to address. Today, I'm only going to be able to sort of open this can of worms, and then uh, next week, we'll, or it's probably the week after, because next week is, yeah, it's a, it's a different kind of day. I'll explain that in a minute. Uh, so, are you ready? <laughs> the reason I've shared what I shared at the beginning is because uh, I know no one got up and came to church for the first time in their life today to hear the subject of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I just wanted to make sure you knew that. And, uh, and we'll go from there. All right. So, let me first of all back this thing back up. And get back up here. So, first of all, I want you to know that baptism of the Holy Spirit is, I'm not going anywhere, I'm just, they didn't know I was going to come back up here. Is a biblical thing. So, let's start with that. Here is Mark chapter, well, first of all, let me show you a chart. There are seven verses, or yeah, seven texts on the baptism of the Holy Spirit in your Bible. So all of the, con, all of the issues surrounding it can surround only this many verses. There are this many in the Gospels, and these are the same. They're saying the exact same thing. In Acts, you have these two verses. They're quoting this. So essentially, you have six verses that are essentially saying the exact same thing. And then there's one unique one out here in 1 Corinthians 12, 13. That's all you have. So you're going to use those seven verses to come up with your view of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Let me show you one of them, just so you know. Here's Mark 1, 8. Here's what all of the Gospels sound like and Acts when they're quoting this. So the book of Acts uses that phrase twice, and all it's doing is quoting the Gospels. Here's what they're all saying. So this will cover six of them. I'll show you one verse, and it covers six of them. Are you following me? All right, here it is. I baptize you with water, John the Baptist says, but he, who's he? Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. That's where you get it. So we have to figure out what is that? What is happening there? Now, your verses in Acts, let me go over here. Your verses in Acts sort of explain, because these Acts is sort of the picture of where this happens. You see it in Acts 2, and, and then this should be 11. That should be 11.16. 1, 5 and 11.16. So you'll see it there. So you'll see what, whatever the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it happens in Acts. So when you read in Acts, you see what it looks like. That's when the Spirit comes down in Acts chapter 2. So that's why what they're saying is they quote these verses to say this, this is that when the Spirit comes down in Acts 2. Now, if you don't, if you don't understand all of that, uh, Maybe I should just draw you a little picture. 
Here's essentially your Bible. In your Old Testament, they anticipate the Spirit coming. The Spirit is coming. The reason they anticipate the Spirit coming is because the Spirit now, God himself is going to live inside humans. And it contrasts with the law. I don't know why I'm going into all this. I wasn't planning on it. I'm just trying to help you understand in case you're completely clueless. Remember, we focused on the law. Keep the law. It was the Ten Commandments. Keep the law kind of thing. The Old Testament prophesies that there's going to come a time, there's going to come a time when God's going to put his spirit inside of you. He's going to write his law in your heart. It's going to be written in there. You're going to want to do it. You're going to have motivation to do it. You're going to have power to do it. It's all going to come from him. That's all going to happen because I'm going to send my spirit. This is a real fast summary. All right? The spirit's going to come inside of you. Then we looked at John and we said, yeah, Jesus comes. Jesus comes and he is the bringer of that spirit. And so there sort of is a transition. Jesus is on the scene and he's telling you that the spirit is going to come. It'll be the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's called the baptism. Just like you saw people baptized here. It's the same word, water baptism. You're going to get plunged into the reality of the spirit is what's going to happen. You're going to get plunged into the reality of the spirit. So Jesus is anticipating that. So Jesus dies on the cross. He rises from the dead. And then he ascends to the Father all the way back to heaven. And when he does that, the Spirit comes down. This is in Acts. Acts pictures. Jesus is gone. The Spirit's now in control. And the baptism of the Spirit happens in Acts chapter 2. And then Acts sort of describes some other pictures of it. So that's sort of the picture. I mean, you got that? Uh, I'm not a clinical psychologist. I'm not an artist. So you have to live with both of those realities. Now, so I wanted you to see that's, that's what we're talking about when we talk about baptism of the Spirit. Now we have to talk about what that is. And by the way, most of the, most of the, the trouble really is Acts. How do you interpret what's happening as Acts? And here's the big question in case you didn't know or wanted to know. Um, Is what's going on in Acts something we're supposed to experience? Is it repeatable? Or is it something... Or what parts of it are repeatable? And what parts of it were they just describing a unique time? That's not for today. That's where your struggle is. All right, so if you, can, if you understand Acts, that, that's where the controversy comes. So let me lay this out for you with a little bit of, with, with a chart. Uh, how well you can read that. I think you can read it okay. So let me divide this up for you in, in terms of, of sort of the differences in some denominations. Charismatic's not a denomination. Pentecostals is a denomination. Uh, and I, I call this conservatives just because it's the, the easiest word. Because there are, all, all denominations can be in any of these categories. And so it was just really hard to come up with one. I think you'll probably understand this language better. So conservatives is probably, if you're attending Hillside, you're likely to be in that camp. Not all of you, but likely to be in that camp. All right? Um, then you have your charismatics, and then you have your Pentecostals. All right, and, it, and, the, and it's sort of, it's a trajectory. It, it, 
the, how you view the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit sort of crescendos here. So conservatives, now, I have been read, <laughs> reading, reading, uh, scholars in all three of these camps, because here's what you need to know. There's a lot of people who are saying things about what Pentecostals believe, that you had some unique experience in a Pentecostal church, but the, over, but the scholars of Pentecostal wouldn't say that. So what I'm going to give you, what I'm going to share with you, is what the scholars of, Pen, of these denominations are saying. Not just a local pastor saying it. Representatives of the denomination. All right? So there are lots of little bitty differences in all of these groups that I could not possibly represent here will be in this series until God knows. Can't do it. So I'm giving you general, but I've only looked at what the scholars, what the leaders of these denominations are saying. All right? And let me tell you what all three of them are saying, and I wanted to make sure everybody knows that. All three of these groups would say that a person, when they get saved, gets baptized in the Spirit. All three of them would say, when you get saved, you get the Holy Spirit. We're all the same on that. Okay? Now, but there's a caveat here. We would say, conservatives, say we, Conservatives would say this is a one-time event. It happens at salvation. It's something that's initia- that, that comes at the initiation of salvation. The Spirit comes to live inside of you. That's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Charismatics would say the same thing, that you get the Holy Spirit when you get saved, but they believe that there is two parts. There's initiation. I'm having to write small. I hope this. Initiation, and there's another one, an empowerment. Okay, so that this can be repeated. Yes, you get the Spirit when you get saved, but you can have another baptism in your life. Okay, you can have another one. So it not only happens here, it can happen again. But the second one is for empowerment. And by the way, it's not just second. It can happen the third, fourth, fifth time. That's exactly what Pentecostals believe. It just continues right over. They believe there's an initial one. And they believe there's many more to come for empowerment. Don't miss all three of them believe you get the Holy Spirit when you get saved. They just will use the language of baptism of the Holy Spirit to describe another kind of empowerment that comes to your life at a separate time. All right? So that's really where the debate is. Does this happen one time? And what happens to you when that happens? Which we'll see in just a second. Uh, So, I'm just laying it out. Here we go. Uh, Conservatives generally would say that when this baptism of the Spirit happens, uh, that you don't necessarily experience the ability to speak in sign gifts or speaking gifts. This is tongues and prophecy 
and uh, word of knowledge, word of wisdom, uh, healing, all these sort of gifts that come that you're probably used to hearing that come, which, that, that Charismatics and Pentecostals uh, experience and say that you will experience. So in the conservative camp, generally speaking, uh, we get rid of this really fast and easy by, be, by being what we call cessationists. Big word. All it means is we don't think these exist anymore. So here's what we've done with the baptism of the, of the Holy Spirit. We have said it's something that happens one time. You don't even know it happens to you. It's non-experiential. And nothing special happens to you when you do it. Because we don't believe these sign gifts. You say, what is, what is that whole theology about? This whole theology is about the apostles, the beginning of the church, had these special powers. And they used those special gifts and powers to validate the gospel. Now, that is true. They did do that. The apostles did use that to validate the gospel. So the conservatives argue that since we don't have apostles anymore, and we would argue that you don't have apostles anymore because no one has seen Jesus rise from the dead, that you had to see Jesus rise. You had to see the risen Jesus in order to be an apostle. All right, now, these groups here will, will say apostles still exist. That's one, of the, one difference. So we would say that they probably... So because the apostles are off the scene, so are the gifts. We don't need them anymore. And they develop a pretty elaborate theology and biblical teaching that says these gifts aren't here anymore. So you can see how the conservatives pretty much just... They're, they're, they're really watertight on the baptism of the Spirit. You don't even know what happened to you. Meanwhile, in these two camps, oh, no, that's, this is something that can happen one time. It can happen multiple times, uh, and great things happen. And I will tell you that, so let me just lay them out, and then I'll give you some observations, all right? I'm just laying out the views. Anybody panicking? Anybody need water, towel, anything? All right, everybody good? All right, second one, charismatics. Um, would say that um, that you would not necessarily experience this at salvation. So uh, when, when you get the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you don't necessarily speak in tongues, but, and I'm using tongues because it's, 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 it's just characteristic of the one that I think, you follow me? I'm having to explain everything because I don't know what you know. I'm just anyway, uh, and this is just painful. Do you feel the pain? Do you feel my angst? And so, what what charismatics would say, and 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 I'm I'm telling you what they would say. I'm not putting words in their mouth. I've been reading on them. Okay, what they would say is that speaking in tongues or these sign gifts. When the baptism of the Holy Spirit hits you, uh, they're not, they're, they're, they would say it's normal, normal to experience them, and it's available to all to experience them. It doesn't necessarily happen when you get saved. 
It doesn't necessarily happen every time. But these gifts are normal for, for the church, and they are available to anyone in here who wants them. That's what the charismatics would say. So they sort of operate under the deal that everyone in here ought to seek it. Do you see that? Everyone should be seeking it because it's available and it's normal. The Pentecostals, on the other hand, would say they actually, and this is right out of their words, and I've read a couple of great ones. And by the way, um, there's some great scholars in our Pentecostal work on 1 Corinthians, which is sort of the weedy text on this subject. Uh, Gordon Fee is one of the best on First Corinthians. He's Assemblies of God, which is classical Pentecostalism, and uh, has one of the best commentaries on First Corinthians. Does a great job with this, with the whole theme of the Holy Spirit. Brilliant, and I got some great things to tell you that he says. But here's what Pentecostals would say: Pentecostals talk about something called the law of tongues. When you experience this empowerment these baptisms of the Spirit, you will most definitely speak in tongues. Everyone will. That's Pentecostalism. Now, of course, there could be multivaried, but I'm reading leading scholars on Pentecostalism, and that's what they talk about. There's a law of tongues, so you are going to experience it. And they base that solely on Acts, because that's all you have to base it on. That's what they'll base that on. So... While the charismatics, you seek these things, in Pentecostalism, they are, I would call, a certain experience. Does that give you the three? I think that gives you the three views, basically, right there. All right? So, What you have to do in order to determine this is you have to start with, let's let's look at the verses again on baptism of the Holy Spirit. Let's look at Acts and decide how both these groups, because Acts becomes the big thing. And I'll tell you what the big thing is in Acts. This is a very interesting little thought, and then I'll give you my perspective on this. Uh, In Acts, here's what happens. In Acts 2, the Holy Spirit comes down. Right? There's this mighty rushing wind, tongues of fire over the 120 of them that are in the room waiting uh, for the Spirit to come down. And then the Spirit allows them to, to speak in tongues. It, they speak in tongues. And, and, and you say, well, what is tongues? Well, I'm going to give you a really short version, of that, short version of that. Tongues is basically praise. It's always Praise. Whether you're in Acts 2 or 1 Corinthians 14, doesn't matter where you are. You're always talking to God with tongues. You're not talking to humans. You're talking to God. So in Acts 2, when these guys start to speak in tongues, and Acts will tell you that they're just expressing the wonders of God, praise, okay? Everyone there, because numerous people from all over the place, Jews from all different Lands and cultures were there. All heard in their own language. So, 
It's an incredible moment. And we know exactly what's going on in Acts 2. They're speaking in this language, and, and, and it appears as though everyone can hear it in their own dialect from wherever they're from, so that whatever they're praising God about, this whole group hears it. Okay? And so that's what happens in Acts 2. And it becomes a tool that, as they are speaking in this language, praising God, the wonders of God, that everyone there hears it in their own dialect. So then you get to Acts 8 and 11 and then 19. And in those texts, you almost have a mini sort of experience again, a mini Pentecostal moment, a mini, mini Pentecost. Because what happens in Acts 2 happens in Acts 8, and then it happens in Acts 11, and then it happens in Acts 19. And you say, well, does that mean it, because it happened four times, it should happen in all of our lives? Is, it, is that what it's saying? Or is it saying, or do we look at that and say, well, maybe this is a unique time in Acts in history, and it's not for all of us? Well, then why did it happen there? Because there are numerous individuals who get saved in Acts, and none of that happens. So why does that happen? I'm just telling you that's one of the questions you have to answer. It's one of the big debates, the essential debate. All right? Uh, so that's, that's what's going on in Acts. Now, I'll tell you where, uh, where I am on this. There's, by the way, a third wave. I didn't want to get into that too much. They call it a third wave. It came around in about the 80s. Pentecostalism probably hit us in the early 1900s. Uh, uh, and then the Charismatics, they, they came later, a uh, little later after Pentecostals. And uh, so... About 80s, a, a new wave came in. Where they are conservatives, and here's where the new wave is. The new wave would, would argue that uh, we believe, uh, like conservatives do about the Holy Spirit baptism. We don't think it happens multiple times like this. But we do believe these things exist and are still for the church today. Because here's the dangers. Let me give you the dangers and then I'll wrap up for today. The dangers of being on this side. All right. The dangers of being in this side is just what I was saying earlier. We tend to relegate the spirit to you don't experience it. It's a one-time thing. Uh, we don't trust in it. We don't even talk about the filling of the spirit very much. We're scared of that term. And so we tend to relegate the spirit to sometimes insignificance in our lives. We just downplay it. We don't, we don't, we're not looking for miracles. We're not very expectant. We don't trust that something powerful can happen in a moment. And so we live lives like this is what we're typically to say. As soon as you get saved, you get everything you need for salvation. You have everything you need. Meanwhile, you and I are living lives like, man, I could use a little something else. How many times have you said, I need a little something else? So that's what works. And so we walk around going, yeah, we got it all. We need a little something else. That's how we tend to live as conservatives. The dangers on this side and the dangers 
is, and, and probably some of you have experienced, is this can get, this can get very chaotic, can get uh, very emotionally driven and experientially driven, just sort of the opposite. And both of them sort of create a second-class Christian. Well, if you're over here, I've, I guess I only, I, I, I didn't get two baptisms of the Spirit. You got two? Oh, you got three? Oh, you're like a three-year-old running around, and you know, you're, you're worried about that. And so, you, and so that creates a whole secondary kind of problem, and it creates a second-class citizen. And here's what we have in the New Testament. You're, and I'll just throw this out now, even though I'll probably elaborate on it more a little bit later. You're never, ever told to seek baptism of the Holy Spirit in the Bible anywhere. You're never told that it's the problem with your powerless life. You're never told to seek a post-conversion one. So that's where this side. So on this side, you have the danger of, well, I guess we got it all. And then on this side, we got it all and we still got it and we're getting more. And we're looking at each other like, man, which side should I be on? That's why the question keeps coming. In case you're wondering, that's why the question keeps coming. Uh, so, and the, the other potential danger is if you didn't speak in tongues, you can't be saved. That's another potential danger. And I think when you cross those two things, I think you've really crossed a, a line on both of those. I'll, I'll try to argue for that biblically next week. You just don't have to hear me say it. But it's my opinion that I don't think that's true. All right. Uh, I will tell you this. I have, and I went to Dallas Theological Seminary, classic cessationists that these don't exist. My f- favorite professors, guys that I think are the smartest, but I, great, argue that these gifts aren't around anymore. And I'm just going to tell you from my personal perspective, I think that argument is not strong. It's just not strong. It's, a, it's good, you can make a case, I just think it's not very strong. Because essentially what you have to argue if you're a cessationist, if you believe those gifts are gone, that every single one of those gifts, in other words, by the way, you call them sign gifts. Nowhere in the Bible calls them sign gifts. So this camp here is saying these gifts are gone because the apostles are gone. We don't need to attest to the gospel anymore. Well, that assumes that all these gifts were only around to attest to the gospel. But when you get to 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, they're not doing a testing in there. Now you say, oh, Pete, you just swallowed me on the side of the head. Here's my approach to Scripture, and you need to have it too. Uh, I want what the Bible wants. I don't want what I want or you want or a camp wants or a group wants or a denomination wants. I'm not interested I want the scriptures to be the thing that are the final authority in my life. And I'm willing to let them take me anywhere it takes me. Do you understand that? That's extremely important, Hillside. I think the argument for cessation is, is, I think it has troubles. Just from an honest biblical perspective. Now, of course, that creates what the third wave is trying to do. And the third wave is trying to figure out, how do you not fall into what we... They would consider the traps of these experiences because they, 
they, they hold to what you do about baptism in the Holy Spirit. It only happens one time. But then how do, they, how do you figure out how these gifts then work today and in a church or in, in a person's life and all that kind of stuff? That's a bigger, sort of bigger issue. It's sort of a new one for me because I've been, I've been a cessationist for most of my life. I'm not now, but I don't necessarily know what they look like. I'm reading the third wave because a lot of these guys are trying to figure out how to bring that into their reality. That's not a bridge I'm even trying to cross right now. I, I, I don't have the bandwidth to do it at the moment. I just don't, okay? We got a whole lot going on, and I'm trying to figure it out. I'm not trying to say it's not important, but here's one of the other dangers. Here's the dangers. So you saw that. Here's the dangers. The dangers on all of this is, uh, I would say, for us, for our group, we have the danger of, man, we just don't see the Holy Spirit doing any cra- any, anything really miraculous among us. We don't even expect it. And so many of us live a kind of a spiritual life that's, that's without adventure because we don't know if the Holy Spirit's going to show up when we need him to. I, I would rather live my life thinking the Holy Spirit could show up right here, right now, any minute, and do anything he wants to. That's how I want to live my life. So how many times have you said, well, I don't know what to say. Well, let's trust him to say it. Well, I don't know what to do. Well, let's trust him to do it. I want to reach my neighbors. Know what the Holy Spirit needs you to do if you're going to reach your neighbor? Walk across the street. He'll do the rest. He does not need you to have a plan. And if you think you have to have the plan all the time, then you're leaving the Holy Spirit out. That's a problem, Hillside. If you don't think the Holy Spirit has power to change conversations, to to do miraculous, to change your attitude, your behavior, your marriage, your life, you better be expecting him to show up. We need to live expectantly. All right? So that's one of the dangers we need to face. Now, of course, the danger here is you start saying, hey, if you haven't spoken in tongues, you've got a problem. Listen. 1 Corinthians 14 is very clear. Not all of you will speak in tongues. That, hey, just use the scriptures. You're not all going to speak in tongues. Sorry. So we would differ a little bit on what it means to seek the gifts and then what it means to certainly experience them. But we got dangers on both sides of this. Do you see the dangers on both sides? Okay. That's about all I can throw at you right now. Are you okay with that for the moment? Can you live with that for just the moment? Uh, uh, do what? I can't hear you. Oh, no, no. <laughs> oh. <laughs> My wife. Not good for her to be on the front row when I'm trying to do a job. <laughs> Lord have mercy. Normally she's in the back because there's a team and she's leading. and it's... This is not good, babe. At home, you tell me what to do, darling. (laughs) All right. Anyway, so we just opened the can of worms. Everybody be gentle. Calm down. Don't anyone in this room act like they know it all, because I will be the first one to tell you very, very humbly, this is not easy stuff. So don't act like it's easy, and you know it. But I do think it would behoove all of us to think, when I leave here today, I'm going to start thinking the Holy Spirit's got, got some abilities, some talents. 
some power in my life. And if nothing else, we need to be seeking that. So we'll talk more about what that looks like because I think there's some good advice for it. All right, so that's just, we just started the ball rolling. Love you, Lord. We thank you for this day. I thank you for the people here today, their hearts. I, I know them, and they love your word, and they really want uh, what you want the most. And I pray that would be the heart that drives us as we sort of look into this uh, controversial stuff. We love you, and thank you for what you've done for us. Thank you for saving us and changing us. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for watching today's message. We hope it encourages you wherever you're at in your faith. If you enjoyed it, let your friends know. We'll catch you next time.